Well, amen. Thank you, choir and orchestra, for leading us in that great song, a time of worship and declaration of the glory of our Lord. It's been a good time to sing praises to our Lord this morning. Well, it's good to see all of you today. Let me say a couple of things before we open up our Bibles for today's text. Men, next Sunday afternoon, next Sunday evening is our men's conference. So let me encourage you to register if you've not yet. This is the only appropriate time in church. You ought to take your phone out right now and register online uh, if you're one of those who do that. Uh, if not, you can call the church office or you can uh, stop at the welcome desk and register. But please do that because we want to make sure that we have a, a steak for you uh, for the meal. And then it's going to be a great time. Scott Dawson and Ted Trailer as they bring the Word of God and encourage and challenge us next Sunday. So please, men, be a part of that. Also, I uh, want to just uh, give you a point of information today. Our new Connections pastor is now uh, uh, on the job. Matter of fact, he's standing back there keeping an eye on Doug Salter, so uh, he's got a job cut out for him. Uh, but uh, welcome Dave this morning, <clears throat> and we're grateful. He's kind of scouting out the area and just kind of getting his feet on the ground, uh, getting ready to get to work this week uh, with Kingdom Things, and so uh, very grateful for him being here today. Well, let's pray together, and then we're going to uh, launch into a message this morning uh, from the book of Numbers. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us. It's been great to be together with the people of God already and just to sing to you. And now, Lord, it comes time that we worship through the Word. And uh, I have um, been in the Word this week studying this message, and you know I've had a bit of a struggle with all the distractions going on, just the busyness of this past week. And I just ask you, Lord, now to make up for my inadequacies, clothe me with Holy Spirit ability and power, and give me clarity of mind, clarity of speech, bring to mind everything that needs to be said, and please open every heart and mind to receive this word. Help it to be very clear and concise, and Lord, uh, easy to follow. And I pray, Lord God, that it makes such sense to us today. We're moved to obedience. And so I'm praying now for you to speak. Do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Numbers chapter 14, if you have your Bible. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 10 is our text today. I've entitled this message, To the Promised Land. To the Promised Land. Now, let me tell you what's happening here in this message today. The entry into or the failure to enter into the promised land by the Exodus generation of the people of Israel, uh, there is a valuable lesson for us to learn. Now, as I'm going to talk a little bit more about this here in just a few minutes, but as you know, the Exodus is symbolic of our redemption, uh, and, and, and the wilderness uh, is sort of part of our spiritual journey the promised land that the people of Israel were to enter into represents the abundant spiritual life that we're to have uh, as a follower of the Lord Jesus. Now, that's basically uh, kind of an overview of what I want to talk about today, and I want to challenge us to have an abundant spiritual life. See, I believe there's a whole lot of Christians who are wandering in the wilderness, and they're not really going on with the Lord. They have been at the same spot spiritually for years. Every time they're prompted to move on, they don't do it. And they're, they're just in a bad spot. 
And as A.W. Tozer says, you might even call those Christians failures to a certain degree because they're not really doing what God has called them to do and saved them to do. They're saved people, but they're just not really going on with God. They're not really out many times doing evil stuff. They have a moral life, but they're not moving on to the deeper things of God. They don't really know God in a close and intimate way. They're religious, and they're good church people even sometimes, but they've never moved on to a deeper walk with the Lord. There is so much more to the Christian life than I believe most Christians are experiencing. And when I say that, I am not saying that they're missing out on some kind of an ecstatic experience or something of that nature. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about they don't really have an intimate knowledge of God. They don't experience the great spiritual blessings that come when you're just close to the Lord and you've learned things from Him over the years. And I just think most Christians are missing out on that. They live a real surface Christian life. They rush about and do all their things, and, and yet God is on the back burner of their lives, and they don't spend time with Him to any deep level. They're not being taught by Him. The Spirit of God's not moving in their lives and helping them to apply the Scriptures so they transform and they conform to the image of Christ. They just kind of stay the same. And that's not what God has for us. Now, I talked about this a good bit during our series in the book of Hebrews. And so I want to get further into that today as we're in sort of a transitional time right now between a series of messages that I really feel the Lord wants us to hear. You know, you can be a friend to somebody, <coughs> and you can be around them quite a bit, but not really get to know them in depth. You know what I mean? Here, here's a great tragedy in my mind. I've known husbands and wives over the years. They're married, and they don't really know each other. Now, that's just a shame. But they've never cultivated their relationship as they should have, and they've never grown into that closeness because uh, of, of that. A person can know God as Savior and Lord, can be living life for Him in certain ways by, you know, getting certain sins out of their lives, and, but not really get to know God. They, they live a moral life. They're more focused on morals than they are the Master. Now, I want us to understand how we can go deeper in our walk with God. The cause of this complacency or this stunted growth is disobedience. That's the bottom line. It's an unbelief to a certain level that we um, are going to benefit from moving on any further than where we are at the moment. Or an unbelief that if we do this, then it's going to cost us too much. <laughs> because we fear the world more than we fear God. We fear losing our way of life more than we fear God. I would imagine that if God really showed up in a church service in most places, it would scare the people half to death. If He began to really move among us in ways, it'd scare them half to death because we've gotten so settled in a status quo kind of Christian life. Why is our relationship with Him not moving on in fervency today? Well, it's because we're not pursuing intimacy with Him. That's the bottom line. Now, 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, and Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, the Word of God tells us that what happened in the Old Testament is for example to us. There are some practical life examples we can gain from studying the Old Testament. Now, let me also say to you that the Old Testament, all the narrative of Scripture points to God's redemptive plan. And anytime we're reading the Old Testament, we ought to ask ourselves this question. What's this saying about God? What's this saying about Christ? What's this saying to me? The Lord Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 24 that Moses, and the Psalms, the prophets all spoke to him. They, they forecasted him. And so that's also a major narrative within the Old Testament. But understand there's some things we can learn. There's some good examples and bad examples. And I'm going to show you a bad example today as we study the rebellion of the people of Israel at Kadesh Barnea here in chapter 14. And of course, we'd have to go back into 13 to get the full context, but I just am going to read to you the first 10 verses of 14. I'll explain the whole story to us, and then I want us to walk away with some lessons today, and I hope that we have a resolve to go deeper in our walk with God today. So look with me in the Scriptures. Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said, To stone them with stones... And now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. The main idea of this message this morning is that God desires us to go into the promised land, that is, to go deeper into the abundant spiritual life with Him. The whole reason for God saving us is not so that we're just rescued from sin and that's it. We're to learn Him, fellowship with Him, walk with Him, serve Him, worship Him, witness about Him. We're to have a closeness with Him. There's a verse of Scripture that I learned not long after coming to Christ. It's in John chapter 10 and verse 10. And the Word of God says uh, in John 10, 10, the Lord Jesus speaking, "...the thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life." and that they might have it more abundantly. 
The Lord Jesus desires for those He saves to have an abundant life. That's what He desires for us. Now, this does not mean that we're going to all be rich. It does not mean that we're going to have all these great possessions in this land and experience all the pleasures of this world. To have an abundant life means that you're rich in Christ. It means that you have the spiritual blessings that come from a close walk with God. It means that you gain eternal reward because of faithfulness to serve the Lord while you're here on this earth. Let me ask you something. The word abundant here means to have a super abundance. It means to be over the top. Uh, that's what it's describing here. And the question I want to ask you is this. Do you think that describes your spiritual life right now? It's just over the top in the spiritual abundance of walking with God each day. Or would you say, well, that does not describe my Christian life. That's the way the Lord intends for us to, to walk with Him. I, I believe there are two types of Christians. One is those who walk in the abundance of that spiritual life. They're, they're those who walk in the promised land, so to speak. They have a closeness with God. They serve Him with fervency. They serve Him not to satisfy self, but to glorify God. They have this closeness with God that brings a pervading peace in their life that no one else on earth can have. They have a full joy in their life despite their circumstances. When they get up in the morning, their mind's on the Lord. They go to bed at night, and their mind's still on the Lord because they have disciplined themselves to pursue God, and God has helped them along the way every step to have a closeness with Him. They've learned things about God that other Christians don't really know because those other Christians have not bothered to pursue Him <laughs> and spend time with Him and reflect on Him. And then, so there's those that walk in the promised land, but then there are those who walk in the wilderness, and they're just kind of back and forth in their spiritual life. Sometimes they have some highs. Many times it's lows. Most of the time it's just a, it's a complacent, complacent, steady status quo in their lives. They walk in the wilderness when God wants them to be in a land flowing with milk and honey. Two kinds of Christians. Now let me explain this text to you, and then I want us to draw some lessons from it to help us be the kind of Christian that's going to walk in the land flowing with milk and honey. Numbers 14 is a part of a larger context of the children of Israel. Now remember, they have been taken out of Egypt after over 400 years being there. Now, that exodus, remember, is symbolic of salvation. As the Lord removed them out of uh, Egypt, out of slavery to sin... It's really symbolic of what happens when you and I get saved. We're taken out of slavery to sin and brought into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, to walk with Him. As a matter of fact, when the 10th plague took, remember there were 10 plagues that happened while the children, were, uh, the children of Israel, up before they were taken out of Egypt, Pharaoh had hardened his heart and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart and and he was going to show the world his might by judging Pharaoh, who was a very wicked man, very resistant man to the things of God. It took 10 plagues for Pharaoh to finally agree to let the people go. That 10th plague was uh, the death of the firstborn. And remember, 
What the Israelites were told to do, they were given specific instructions um, by God through Moses. They were to sacrifice a lamb. They were to put blood on the doorpost of their house. And when the death angel passed through the land of Egypt, uh, only those houses with blood on the doorpost would be passed over and no one would die there. And so they sacrificed that, that what was later known to become the, the, the Passover lamb. And that blood was applied. And because that blood was there, it covered that household. And, and the death angel passed them. It's symbolic of what happens when we're redeemed. The Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate Passover lamb. And his blood, when applied, cleanses hearts and makes us righteous before God and frees us from the death penalty of sin. The Exodus emphasizes uh, our deliverance from sin and our salvation. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4 says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out myself. It's symbolic of how we're taken from the slavery of sin, the kingdom of darkness, and brought into the kingdom of God. Now, the wilderness and promised land have been interpreted in a couple of ways by Christians over the years. Some have the idea that the wilderness is the Christian life. And you kind of live out that Christian life, and then you cross over the Jordan into the promised land, and that's heaven. And, and so that's, there are hymns written about crossing over the Jordan, you know, and, and, and what that means is, you know, you're, you're entering death and going into, into heaven. I do not think that's the best interpretation. Uh, I, I hold to the second interpretation, which is that views the promised land as the abundant Christian life right now. And here's why that is. Uh, you don't conquer heaven. You have to conquer the uh, promised land. So what that means is uh, you have this land flowing with milk and honey. That means you have everything you need in that spiritual life. Everything you could ever dream of that you need in your life is provided by the Lord. And, and He helps you every step of the way in that spiritual life. But there's going to be some battles. The forces of the enemy are going to stand against us. There's going to be some difficult things you face. The world's system, sin, uh, uh, Satan, all those things will stand in the way. But God is our helper. And just as he helped those who went into the promised land defeat those fortified cities and defeat those enemies, then he'll do that for us as we walk with him each day. The wilderness symbolizes rebellion. They're in the wilderness because they rebelled. That does not symbolize the kind of life that the Lord wants us to live. And so what He wants us to do is be saved and go immediately into that promised land, that abundant life uh, in Christ. But sometimes we just simply don't do that. Now, <clears throat> remember, after over 400 years, the people of Israel were rescued and, and they were in the wilderness there where... Uh, they were to receive the law of God and then go quickly into the promised land, but there was a problem. They started rebelling against God. They complained against Him. You know, we don't have enough food to eat out here. You know, we had plenty back in Egypt. We don't have anything out here. We don't have anything to drink out here. We didn't have that problem in Egypt. Now we've got to... We, they're just constantly complaining and griping. They were rebelling. It was a pattern. They rebelled against God while Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law. They, they created an idol and began to worship it. I mean, they, they were just constantly falling. <laughs> and then 
God, in His graciousness, uh, through the intercession of Moses, spared them. He punished those who needed punishing in that time, and He was very gracious toward others. He brought them to Kadesh Barnea to enter into the promised land. They'd been made ready. They had the law of God. They understood when they go into the promised land, they're to live by the word of God. They're to keep God first. They're to love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They're to trust him. And he'll give them victory, and he'll give them that promised land. That'll be the land in which they live. That'll be the place in which they will represent God and glorify him and call other people to worship the one true God. So they get there, and remember, they, they got 12 spies, one from every tribe, sent them over into the land to look and see how bountiful it was, if the land was good for produce, and check out the people also, and, and see if it's just camps or are there major cities. What is it? So they went out, and remember, they came back, and every one of them agreed on how bountiful it was, how much better it would be to be there, but there's a big problem. They're fortified cities. There's big people. We look like grasshoppers to them. There's no possible way we're going to be able to defeat them. Matter of fact, what they'll do is whip us and kill us. Then they'll go and, and take our wives, kill them, kill our kids. Everything. It would been better off if we'd just, if we'd just uh, you know, died in Egypt. Well, Joshua and Caleb were saying, don't listen to these naysayers. I'm telling you, this is the promised land. God promised to our forefather Abraham, we need to go in. God's going to give us the victory here. We just need to, to, to trust in Him. But the people chose to listen to the ten naysayers. And so they even decided they wanted to kill their leaders and find them somebody to take them back into to Egypt. And that's where we are in this passage for today. And there are two things I want us to take away from here today. Here's the first one. We must pursue the abundant spiritual life which is the promised land. They should have went out of Egypt. They should have received the law. They should have went right into the promised land and started serving God and watching God give them victory over their enemies. But they didn't. The writer of Hebrews, remember, encouraged those early Christians, don't, don't be like your ancestors who wanted to go back to Egypt because they wanted to go back to Judaism. He said, no, you stay faithful to Jesus. When we're saved... God desires us to go immediately into an abundant life and live out the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But, but sometimes we get sidetracked for a number of reasons. Have you, I thought of this this past week when I was uh, studying this, but here's what <clears throat> I'll hear sometimes. People will say, well, and, and they'll talk about maybe children that grew up in the church and they, they get to a certain age, teenagers or whatever, early adulthood, and they, and they just start rebelling against the Lord. Now, sometimes... You can do everything you can do. You can raise your kid right. You can invest in that child. You can, you can live a godly example, and they're still going to make terrible choices, and they're going to rebel. But, but sometimes they'll say something like, well, it's just, uh, you know how kids do. They, they just have to go sow their wild oats. You know, they, they, it's just one of those things that happen. It's almost like a rite of passage to them. They're going to go out and rebel for a while, then come back. And sometimes that doesn't bother people when that happens. But I want to tell you something. It should bother us. That's not what God intended. That's not a rite of passage. He wants us to stay faithful to Him from the moment of conversion to the moment we die or the Lord Jesus Christ comes back first. 
That's what he wants. Now, will he forgive? You better believe he will because many of us are, are, are recipients of God's grace in that. He'll even help us to learn from our failures, but there's always consequences, isn't there? He wants us to be obedient to him. He wants us to, to follow him. Matter of fact, here's what Jesus said. Those who desire to come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So we deny our sinful desires. We die to who we are, so we follow Jesus. I mean, it's about him. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. Well, what does that mean? To live as Christ means that our entire lives revolve around Jesus. It's submitted to his lordship. It's to obey him. It's to witness for him. It's to serve him. Paul said that in all things, Christ should have the preeminence in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. The way the promised land is described, every need is met there. And that is certainly true of the abundant spiritual life. Now, I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not saying it won't be costly in some, some ways because, see, we, we die to ourselves to follow the Lord. But I'll tell you this, it'll cost you more. It'll cost you more to wander in the wilderness than to go in the promised land. You with me? Y'all do your head like that if y'all with me. We're plowing a bit deep this morning. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, <clears throat> I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said, abide in me. John chapter 15, verse 10 and 11. And here's how you abide in him. Obey his commands. That's what he said. And he said, if you do that, then my joy will be in you. Your joy will be full. How is it that there is joy unspeakable and full of glory in the Christian life when we're obeying the Lord? The Apostle Paul said to the church at Philippi, you know, what you saw and heard and learned in me, those things do. You need to do those things. And the God of peace will be with you. You know, when we're walking with God and we're pursuing him, the peace of God pervades our lives. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 that we studied a couple of weeks ago tells us not to covet, but be content with such things as you have. For the Lord said, He will never leave us nor forsake us. That means we're content in Him. And we don't chase after the things of this world, but we chase after Him. <clears throat> he doesn't leave us nor forsake us. He understands that can be a fearful thing because of what we're facing in the world around us and the opposition of the world. But he goes on to say there in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6, he said that I'll be your helper. Don't fear. What can man do to you? And actually it was David saying it, but if God's going to give us a word this morning, that's what it is. God's our helper. We shouldn't fear. What can man do to us? We're to go on with God. We're to serve him. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says, he is the great shepherd of the sheep, as we talked about last week. He leads us and guides us and protects us and provides for us. We're to walk with him. And he wants us to grow. He wants us to move on in the faith. 
1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 says this. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. <clears throat> Has that passage ever puzzled you? Let me tell you what he's teaching here. He's showing three stages of the Christian life. Children are new converts. And he says to them, you know, you, you've been forgiven of your sins and you know the Father. That means they've been saved and now they know the Father is their Savior. So they're just getting started in their Christian walk. The young men are those who have matured a little bit more and they've learned how to overcome sin in their life through the power of the Lord. They've overcome the wicked one. They're not giving in to the lustful sins of the flesh as they once did as young men. They're putting to death sin to go on to uh, add godly attributes into their lives. So they've matured to that spot. That's where some of us stop right there. We learn to live a moral life and we stop. Then he talks about fathers who know the father who is from the beginning. Now, y'all still with me? You don't want to miss this. Those fathers are people who've matured in the Lord. They walk in spiritual wisdom now. They know God, the eternal one, not just God as Savior. They, begin, they have begun to know him as who he is, the eternal God. They've matured to that point. Now, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to move on with him. Now, for that to happen, we have to be purposefully disciplined to pursue God, and we've got to separate from the world. You with me? We separate from the world. Now, listen to what 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 say. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. We separate from the world. Now, that doesn't mean we go live in a monastery. It doesn't mean that you try to withdraw from every interaction of society that you possibly can. It just means that you live your life in a way that honors the Lord in everything you do from work to family life to community involvement to everything you do, you do it for the glory of God. That's what Colossians 3.17 means when it says, whatever I do in word or deed, let me do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's why verse 23 of Colossians 3 says that we're to do everything heartily as unto the Lord. We separate out from the world and everything in life becomes service to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we can begin to experience the abundant life in Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you this. <clears throat> I've been in church now a pretty long time. 
not as long as some of y'all, but I've been in church all my life, and I'm 32 now, so it's been a while. And so I've seen some things. I've been a pastor of a church. I've pastored for getting close to 30 years now. So I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I've learned a few things. And, and, and one of the things I think that disturbs me most is how complacent we can get even in a church. And how we can just become people devoted to church and not really devoted to Christ. We can even do our service in the church for almost for ourselves. Makes us feel good. Makes us feel better. We might preach or lead in worship or teach or minister in some, some team or whatever it is because that's just what we think we should do. It makes us feel better. It makes us feel like we're doing our part. And there's, there's a level of the pride of life for that. And that's worldly too. We don't sometimes know how to really parse out what worldliness really is. But if we've got the abundant life, and what that means is everything we do, we do it for the glory of God, for His purposes. We preach to lead people to Christ. We preach to lead people to a deeper walk with God. That's why we teach. We want to help people in their spiritual life. We help lead worship because we want people to worship God, not us. We serve on committees, not so folks can say, look how good that person is. Or, I bet you they're just so great contributors to the church or whatever. We do it because we want to honor and glorify God. Man, we, can, we can just get to a point where we kind of settle in and we don't even know that the pride of life has got a hold of us. Or the fear of the world and what would happen and what people say about us if we move on with God. They're going to think, that oh, they're holy rollers. They're little wackos, you know, they're little fruity Christians or something of like that. And so you're, you're just afraid that they're caught up in emotionalism or they're, you know, they're just, you know, they, and that's what we do. And I'll talk about this in a minute. Sometimes when we're in the status quo, we criticize those who are not. That's what happens sometimes. That's what happened in Israel. God desires us to move on with Him and experience that spiritual abundant life. But a second thing, and I'm moving quickly, we need to take away from this text before we leave this room, is that we must not be unbelieving and rebellious, which is the wilderness. Now, probably most in this room, and I look around here and I see folks in this room, and probably none of us would consider ourselves rebellious against the Lord. <laughs> but we could be to a certain level if we're not moving on with God. If we're not truly seeking after Him, there is a level of rebelliousness in us, like the people of Israel. We may not be doing lots of evil stuff. We're not out involved in immorality and, you know, partying on the weekends. Although sometimes I wonder about some of y'all now. Just kidding. We're not out doing all those things, but we're not moving on with God. The Israelites, they knew it'd be better to go across the Jordan into that promised land, they knew it was abundant, but they feared what was there. They feared what it would cost them. They feared they couldn't overcome those things, that they feared they'd be put to death. They feared their family 
would die. And when you're in that state of unbelief, the world around you looks better than the, the abundant spiritual life. That's just how the enemy works in us. And again, what we'll do is we'll, just like they did, we'll choose to criticize leaders trying to get you into a deeper walk with God or criticize those around us that are, that are living a you know, more devoted life and, and, and we just want to make fun of them and all that because they're a little bit wacky to us. And, and the problem is we've got unbelief in our heart many times. Now, in this situation, it got pretty serious. They're about ready to kill Moses and Aaron, get them another leader, go back to Egypt, and God intervened. He showed up. The glory of the Lord appeared, put a stop to that. God says, I'm going to wipe all these people out. Moses interceded. And, of course, God knew exactly what he was going to do, that he was using Moses' intercession to spare the people. He punished those who led the people into this rebellion. Those ten spies were put to death. God put them to death. That was his discipline on them. So these things, these things happened, and, and by the way, aren't you grateful that we have an ultimate intercessor when we're disobedient? Aren't you grateful that he lives to make intercession for us? Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. What Moses did was a precursor and a, sim, a symbolic um, uh, a symbol of what Jesus does for us in interceding on our behalf. They finally realized that they'd been rebellious. And they'd done it 10 times. In verse 22, chapter 14 says, this was not the first time. Remember, they rebelled several times, as I've already said. And they said, okay, we've, we've messed up. Now let's go, let's go to it. Let, let's go into the land. And, and they were saying, no, you better not go. You're going to get whipped. God's not weak now. You're going to be disciplined. Just like you've asked, you're going to die in the wilderness. You're going to miss the promise, that, that land flowing milk and honey. You're going to miss that because you wouldn't go on because your unbelief. Well, we're going to do it anyway. And the Maccalites and the, and the uh, Canaanites put a whipping on them. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. Now, let me close with some lessons. What do we learn from this? But well, we learned that some don't move on to the abundant life because they fear the world. That's what verse 9, you know, Joshua and Caleb were saying, don't fear this world. That's what we do. We fear what people are going to say about us. We fear the, the, uh, you know, our peers. We fear society and what culture believes because we know that the things of God go counter to that. Because we fear the world more, we never move on in our walk with God. And some will say, I don't want to put my family through this. I want my family to kind of enjoy and fit in with those around them. And I'm afraid if we get too serious about Jesus, then it's, they're not going to fit in and it's going to cost them. Well, let me tell you what happened here. It cost their children 40 years they could have been in the promised land. For 40 years they tended sheep in the wilderness because of the unfaithfulness of their parents. I'm going to tell you something. And many of you have got your kids raised and you've got grandkids probably as old as me. Some of you do, but... But, but here, here's the thing about that. I have seen over the years parents who were very, very complacent in their walk with God. And some of their children now are unbelievers. They won't believe. 
Now, I know you can make some tough choices and you can live for the Lord wholeheartedly and, and your kids still rebel. But here's the thing about that. At least you've done all you could. Sometimes our failure to want to move on with God affects the next generation and the next generation and the next generation because we've not taken serious uh, a pursuit of that abundant life. The second lesson we learn is that some just end up wandering in the spiritual wilderness and they go through highs and lows. They're fired up after a revival meeting or a sermon that really touches them or a camp they go to and then before you know it, they just drop right back down. They're just like the kids and the children of Israel. They go over here, they're led to here, led to there, but never really going anywhere. That's what happens. Tozer calls them failures as Christians. <laughs> Gotta love O Tozer. And then third and finally, there are consequences to this. God's discipline comes upon his people, various levels. God's a gracious, loving, merciful God, and aren't you glad or none of us would even be here today? I'm thankful for his mercy. But just like this rebellion at Kadesh Barnea led to consequences, there are. And so what we should do is we should correct that. And what we should do today is seek God, obey Him, go into that deeper walk, sell out to Him, put Him first, strip off the things of the world that are weighing us down and keeping us from that life. Don't allow fear to keep us from living that kind of life. Make everything about Him. And you'll find a new joy in your life, a new peace, a new abundance that maybe you've forgotten about. Maybe there was a time when that was, that was you but not anymore. Well, let's go to the promised land today. How about that? Now, for some in this room, you might still be in Egypt because, see, you're not saved. And you might be religious. You might have a whole lot of head knowledge, but you've never truly repented in faith and turned to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And so a conversion hasn't happened in your life. You're not born again. And if you were to die, you would be eternally separated from God. But if today you believe that and you're willing to repent, which means to turn from your sin to Him, and by faith trust in what He's done on the cross and through His resurrection, save you, He'll save you. And He'll take you out of Egypt, so to speak. He'll take you out of the kingdom of darkness and He'll put you in His kingdom today. And then you can follow Him in that obedient life. Some might need to join the church today. Some might need to come to this altar today to pray and get some things right. So I'm going to encourage us to do that. And some may need to be saved. And you come to me and let me know, I need to be saved today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. I pray this in my own life. You know how I have been in this, uh, focused on this subject for some time now because I really do desire to pursue a closeness with you and, Lord, to live that abundant spiritual life, and I want that for my church family. And I pray that this has been understood, that despite my inadequacies, you've helped people to understand this truth and how it needs to apply to them. And now I pray it will be applied. We'll act on this. 
and we'll enter the promised land of a deep spiritual walk with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.